think long term, take your time to get into something that you really want to be a part of or you enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 68, and today's guest is Adam Stamblick. Adam is the president and chief client officer at Movable Inc., Movable Inc. enables the world's largest retail brands to create automatically personalized content that's data-driven, contextually relevant, and unique for each customer. I met Adam at the very early stages of the business and was one of their first customers. You'll enjoy his story and how he's been part of crafting the growth of the company as well as his own personal journey. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adam Stamblick, the president and chief client officer at Movablink. For over 15 years, Adam has worked with the world's largest brands to understand their goals and drive results-focused digital marketing programs. Adam's organization is focused on ensuring every client succeeds by solving challenges, building deep trust, and delivering sustainable results. In his role, Adam is responsible for worldwide sales, marketing, partnerships, and brand, overseeing the company's award-winning client experience and strategy teams. Culture is also a top priority for Adam, who's focused on maintaining a people-first approach as Movable Inc. scales. Prior to joining Movable Inc., Adam was Vice President of Client Services at YesMail Interactive. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Excited to be here. Well, we're recording this in, uh, I guess we're in November of uh, 2022. Uh, we're getting uh, real close to Black Friday, Cyber Monday. How are you and your clients holding up uh, for this busy time? Yeah, everything is incredibly busy as always. I will say that this year, like the prior two years, is very adventurous to say the least, but we're managing through it and, and it's going to be a, a good holiday season for sure. Okay. Well, definitely we'll talk about some of the headwinds facing businesses that are, you know, likely clients of of yours and, you know, and also would like to understand a little bit about, you know, how you think about, you know, your business, you know, as the economic climate changes. But before we do that, um, always like to start the, these shows with uh, kind of your first story, the guest first story, um, where you grew up, you know, a little bit about your background and what we've found in, in the 60 some odd shows that I've done. It's interesting how many people not everybody, have something in their background that kind of gave light to where they might wind up in their career. Tell us about your first story. Absolutely. So grew up in Westbury, Long Island, middle class neighborhood. I have a uh, older brother and two parents. And so what I would say is that my, both my parents, my mom was a teacher. My dad ran a Honda dealership for my entire life. And so I absolutely learned incredible work ethic watching both of them on a day-to-day -day basis. My mom getting up at six in the morning, driving to Queens every day. 
and my dad putting in time nights, weekends, you know, whatever it took. So, so I definitely know for sure that played a role in kind of watching how they operated and, you know, bringing that in, into my career as well. A couple of other things, you know, I'd say that they absolutely worked to give myself and my brother exposure to all different things, all different sports, all different environments. You know, I remember being on a ski trip and saying like, you guys took us skiing all the time. So I knew how to ski and get right out there. Right. And just understanding what we liked and, you know, what we didn't like and getting to choose those things for ourselves. So I, I think those things absolutely played a role in my career and, you know, what I'm trying to do with my two little girls that I have at home here as well. Yeah. Work ethic comes up almost all the time. You know, people, you know, talking about somebody that was a mentor, whether it was their parents or an uncle or an aunt or, or, you know, somebody they looked up to. And, um, you know, obviously for the most part, you know, speaking to people on these podcasts that have had successful careers and so many of them touch on, on work ethic. So, uh, very consistent. That's, uh, that's great. So let, let's talk about the early career. Um, so, you go to college where? I went to Indiana University, so IU in Bloomington, uh, Kelly School of Business. So I, you know, people ask how you went from Long Island, New York, and, and to Indiana, and, you know, surprisingly enough, huge East Coast contingent there. But my brother had gone there as well, so got an opportunity to go see him while I was in high school, and then just fell in love with it, and, uh, you know, got straight in. So that's kind of how that worked out. And uh, so uh, my uh, my son, his his roommate, um, and somebody he went to high school with, went to Indiana Kelly School. So a, a graduate, uh, awesome uh, program there, and and a pretty good basketball team. Yeah, hope hopefully this year. You know, high hopes for the basketball team. They haven't been so good. And I'll say, uh, I know I'm getting older here because now my niece just got accepted to Indiana last week, so she'll be going next year. Which no, which. Tells me I'm getting older. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, well, that's good. Congratulations to your niece. Uh, so you come out of school, Kelly School, a good background. And and what's your first gig? Yeah. So actually, my very first gig was at Prime Media. So they own a lot of different magazines. So I wound up working on magazines like Slam Magazine, the Basketball Magazine, and a few others. And really, you know, your, your traditional entry level role, I kind of had fell into that because my sister-in-law at the time had worked there and got me an interview. And so I just wound up taking the, the first job I could get. And I did that for about a year. And again, you know, all, all good experience for what it's worth. If you have the luxury, I wouldn't just take the first job that you could get. But, you know, like most, I had graduated. I wanted to get out of the house as fast as I could possibly get out of the house and get an apartment in the city. And, and so I just took that job. And, and again, you know, was working on some good magazines and, and learning that business, but also understanding, I think, at the time, that business was fading away a little bit, right? Um, and I think that starts to carry forward in my career starting to want to be a part of something that was growing in the technology space. So I started picking up a little bit of that, but took some time to get there. Uh, it's funny. Uh, one of the things we try to do in, in this podcast is give the listener three key takeaways uh, that they can either take back in their personal life or in their work life. And uh, it seems like you just gave me my first bullet point. You don't necessarily need to take that first job, but getting going in your career is, is a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Again, if you have that luxury, you know, I, I know that not everyone does, but I, I think you need to think long term. If you're you're talking about a key takeaway, think long term. Take your time to get into something that you really want to be a part of or you enjoy. But again, sometimes you have to take some jobs and some different things to know what you like and what you don't like. And I think both those things are normal. All right. And then you moved on to a business called Sendint. Was that right directly after that? That was it. Yeah. So I, I took a job at Sendint, which was interesting because it was in Connecticut. So I, I remember I got an apartment near Grand Central. I was reverse commuting, thinking like, I don't want to be doing this for very long. But Sendint at the time owned companies like Orbit, Cenix, you know, Hertz, I think, and, and a, a lot of different brands that they own. And so Sendint, when I had first joined, quickly became, they renamed to a company called Trilegent. And I got to work on new product development. And that was pretty interesting. And really, it was kind of finding membership clubs and packaging these different brands to offer their members coupons or some different things that they can be a part of. And, and again, you know, just kind of chalking up the experience more than anything. I was working with very smart people at that company. Um, and again, just learning for what it's worth and, and trying to see what do I want to do and what do I not want to do. But being involved on the product side was interesting and being able to bring new things to market was interesting. But more than that, again, I was I had strong people I was working with and I was just kind of picking up on their behaviors and their attention to detail and different things that I wound up carrying with me throughout my journey here, which was more important than you know, what I was actually doing it was who I was working with and kind of how the success, successful people were operating. Yeah. I think that's also a, another good call out is, you know, I, I, I do a lot of mentoring also of, of kids that are, you know, early, well, well they're kids related to relative to me, but, um, you know, early in their career and they're, you know, they're challenged maybe in a job that they don't really like. And, you know, you try to spin the positives, you know, latch on to somebody that you think is smart, watch how they, you know, behave, watch the things that they do. You know, it's kind of like an athlete, a rookie, you know, coming up in baseball, watching the veterans, you know, how they go about their business. And, and what you're saying is that's what you did. Yeah, I had a very strong VP. I remember getting slapped on the hand three or four times for missing things that, you know, are just details, right? And after that happens a couple of times, it never happens again, right? Um, and you just get in that habit and then you carry those things with you. And so again, I, and I've, I've caught up with this VP and after that in years past and, and just, you know, called that out of the learnings I've taken with me, right? And then I'll put that down kind of, you know, wherever I'm, I'm going and wherever I'm working into my teams and, and those things kind of you take with you, which is good, but you don't really know it at the time. You wind up realizing that much later on. Yeah. So after uh, uh, Sendan, uh, you went to work for an agency uh, with somebody that uh, I know uh, pretty well, Chris Paradise. Uh, so uh, let's talk about that experience and what you did uh, at Chris's uh, firm. Yeah. So I think this is definitely the part of my career that, that starts to tie into where I am now. Right. So I went to at the time it was called Paradise Matera. Towards the end of my run, they had uh, pivoted to call become PM Digital. So that kind of tells you at, at what period in time things were were happening. Right. And so I was on account management there. I was working on direct mail plans. Right. So working with clients directly on their direct mail plans on their segmentation, on what lists that they were going to buy and, and what pieces of content and creative 
that people should receive in the mail. Um, and again, that's where I was starting to hone in my account management skills, uh, my performance marketing and direct marketing skills. Um, and Paradise Matera was a fantastic company to be with. Again, tremendous amount of talent at a company like that. And, and Chris and, and the environment that they created was, was awesome. But another thing I started to realize quickly is direct mail isn't for me, right? I was appreciating what I was doing. I, what I really wound up liking was the clients I was working with. I remember Dow Jones was a big client and, and just a lot of big brands. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed going to their offices in Princeton, New Jersey and putting plans together that I would then see in market. And I started to really enjoy that part of work, but not direct mail itself. I could just couldn't relate to it. I'm the type of person that still to this day, I get mail, I throw it out before it even gets in my house, right? I just couldn't relate to any of that. But I liked working with clients and I liked managing clients and that aspect of things. And so I did that for a few years and um, got promoted a, a couple of times. And I actually took on a really interesting role there in what they were calling their negotiations department. And I wound up working in the negotiations department and you were negotiating list buys. And I was working on negotiating list buys and it was really interesting because the client would get the savings and then Paradise Matero would also get some of that savings. So everyone was making a little money on that. And that's where I started to work and hone in some negotiation skills, some sales skills. Um, and I did that. And, and then I was at the time where they started rebranding a bit to PM Digital. Social media was becoming a really big thing. And I was into all of that. And I was into the technology side of it. Right. And I started to even I was there for uh, about six years, which we could talk about probably too long for what it's worth. But again, all, all chalked up to good experience. But during the final year or two, I spun up my own company, a web design company just to start to get myself into tech, right? And, and to learn about tech. And so myself and a friend, we were running the business side. We had another partner who was running, doing all the web design. And so we would get the clients, we would manage those clients. And we started learning about um, WordPress templates and the first e-com type templates that you would build stores on like Magenta. And we learned how that all worked and, and how those were all set up. And then all of a sudden I knew I was hooked, right? We were making money in tech. We were learning how to build websites. You know, you were learning how to sell and, and that was great. And, and so at that point where I knew that's what I wanted to do is when I then started to make the shift to YesMail Interactive at the time and, and really go all in, in in the tech space. So w while you were there in in account management uh, at at PM Digital, how do you deal with tough clients? You know, maybe they're unreasonable, maybe they're fair, but they're tough. But how how did you think about dealing with them? Yeah. So so first of all, I always related to like incredible customer service, right? You know, whether I was working per in my personal life, you have you have brands like Amex or Delta, or if you're going to like nice hotels, you know, the first super nice hotel I went to was on my honeymoon, the Four Seasons. And when they know everything about you and, and the service is incredible, like I relate to that and I try to bring that back into my team. So first of all, any myself or any of my teams, like I respond fast. I'm going to get you, you know, respond with in, in detail, right? And so I try to set the bar high from a customer service perspective, as do my teams. 
And then I think it becomes about partnership, right? So if, you will be, if you're really developing a strong relationship through value with your customers and things go wrong or things are tough, they understand that, right? And they know we're in this together and that we're delivering. If someone's just looking at you as a vendor and, and you really have an established credibility, that's where things could get a little tougher because it's not operating kind of in a true partnership. So I'm always ready to listen, understand why a client may be reacting the way a client is reacting. Where is it coming from? It's always coming. If you could understand that, you could then help them solve that. And again, when you start to work in tech, you could then leverage your technology to really help solve challenges and problems for them. And, and so that's kind of my philosophy is, is high bar of service, um, really add value. And then when things go wrong, understand why, right? And, and at that point, you're hopefully in a partnership and it's not, you know, looking for any gotchas. You're really just looking to solve whatever that issue may be because you understand where it's coming from. All right. So this uh, the move to uh, YesMail that you you mentioned uh, that was also an account management uh, type role. Yeah. So at the so I had moved to YesMail again, bridging the gap here. So I was working on a website on the on the side here, and then those people got me introduced to the crew at YesMail. They were looking for someone to run account management out of their New York office. So I came in to be the director of the New York office at YesMail Interactive. And that was really my first time getting really in under the hood of a technology and a tech platform. I have to remember like YesMail Interactive, Cheetah Mail, these were some of the earlier ESPs during the earlier days of email, right? And, and so email was definitely the biggest thing going and it was really the first marketing technology platforms that were really out there. So that was an exciting place to be and, and kind of learn how that's all set up and, you know, what goes into the tech and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, that was that was definitely an incredible experience. When you were competing against the cheetah males and the responses and the other folks that were, you know, uh, crafting this path of of email, what was the basis of your competition? You know, was it around the technology? Was it around customer service? Was it price? W what was it? So at that time, YesMail and Cheetah were probably two of the bigger ESPs. A little later on, you started to see responses and Exact Target come up. And so as all of that was happening, where we were really able to compete was on customer service. And what I was really able to control was on customer service. So if a brand was working with us, at the end of the day, a lot of these technologies were very similar, are still very similar. And, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a commodity at this point when you're talking about the ESPs. It, it's part of, and I'm sure we'll get there in a little bit, what makes Movable Inc. so exciting because it's unique and different, but we were able to stand out from a service perspective, right? And we set an incredibly high bar. We were able to deliver for our clients, whether they were full service clients and we were doing the implementation, whether they were self-service clients and just needed, you know, QBRs or whatever it may be. And we were differentiating ourselves absolutely at that time from a service perspective. The devil's in the details. You probably have heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com.
Okay, so you you mentioned I mentioned Movable Inc. Uh, that's where we first met. I was at Steve Madden, and uh, I got to Madden, and it's kind of interesting. You know, we talk about uh, PM Digital. I got to Madden, I guess, the early part of 2011. Towards the end of 11, we started working with uh, Chris and his team at, at PM Digital. And then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, we started working with with Movable Inc. So uh, what was your first role at, at MI and, and what was your attraction to that business? Yeah, so I came on to Movable Inc. in 2013. So I've been at Movable really since the early days. There were probably about 10 of us. And I came on to start our client experience organization there. Um, and, and funny you bring that up. I remember heading into, I think it was Long Island City, the Steve Madden office, early 2013. You guys were one of our first clients. Um, and I came with, yeah, I think a couple of people who are still at Movable Inc. now as well. Um, yeah, and I, I remember that like it's yesterday for what it's worth. I think we were talking about your loyalty program and how to bring that into email um, and how can we make sure that every one of Steve Madden's customers were seeing their own loyalty points and they were actually updated in, in real time. And yeah, funny, I, I remember that because you were one of our first clients for sure in 2013. Yeah, well, I guess we, uh, I, I guess we were trendsetters, uh, so to speak. Uh, but for the audience that doesn't know um, what Mo Movable Inc. is, um, give us some explanation. And I think you kind of teed this up. Well, what makes the business unique and different? Yeah, so Movalink is a content personalization platform. And so, you know, when you step back to when we were working at Steve Madden, we had invented a technology that allowed the content of an email to update at the moment your customers were opening that actual email. So it was the first time anyone was doing anything like that, where you could see like real time content that was always live and that was always updating. And so as we got going, we started to see that there's some bigger plays here, right? Whether it was working with retailers and they wanted real-time inventory or pricing or airlines we started working with that kept telling us the minute they send emails out, the pricing and the availabilities are, are already outdated. Um, and then we kept going further and further on that concept where it was like, okay, we could start to integrate clients' data. There's something really interesting happening where we're able to take that data and create thousands or millions of variations of personalized content. And nobody else is doing that and making that easy to do, right? And everyone wants their customers to receive messages that are personalized to them, but content is their own bottleneck. You can never create a thousand variations of content. You can't, can't create a million variations of content to your entire list and your entire audience. And Movable Inc. was solving that problem. And that's where kind of we started to pick up a lot of momentum there. And, you know, over time, you know, so much has changed from a technology and, a, and a, maybe it's more about privacy um, and and the data that, you know, you can collect or you have access to collecting. So, you know, how have uh, privacy rules, you know, impacted, you know, the business that you're able to do today? Yeah, privacy is super important. And, and I think Movable has taken that incredibly seriously. You know, you hear things about being SOC 2 compliant and ISO. And, and so what that all winds up meaning is that Movable's passed the highest level of security that you could have. And you need to because we're working with the biggest brands in the world at Movable, right? You name them, we're most likely powering their personalized content for them. And so you have to treat that seriously. But what's really interesting about Movable is it's all first party data, right? 
Um, so anything we're collecting for a customer, it's not third party, you know, we're not impacted by cookies like a lot of people in the ad tech space have been. This is all first party data that they've collected and that they're able to now integrate into Movable to be able to personalize that content. And so I think that's interesting. You know, when we're, we're, Movable has the ability to understand what people are doing on the websites and bring that out into the email, back into the email in real time. But again, it's a first party pixel and we're able to kind of leverage all of that. Then we started releasing new functionality around something you'll hear called zero party data. And that's you actually asking your customers questions in real time that they're answering. So we have features called progressive profiling. So think about a company may want to know if you're a, a Home Depot or a Lowe's, what are you working on this upcoming winter season, right? Or it's the summer, are you going to be working on your deck, your kitchen, your bathroom? And there's no way to get at that besides asking that. And then they will submit that within their email program and you're collecting all that data. Then you can put them into different streams on how to market to those customers. And so there's a lot of different things taking place on how to collect more data from your customers, which goes down a whole other thing on, on how preferences have changed with COVID in the last two years and now really needing to update your files and, and what people are really interested in. So a lot of that technology is definitely being used through Movable now as well. What, why do you think it's taken as long as it has for many retailers, some that you know still um, are sending what we'll call batch and blast? So you know the same email essentially to everybody uh, that they are deploying to. Why has it taken so long to get to a a more segmented approach to email? Uh, I, I should ask you, Mark, but I actually know <laughs> the answer there, um, as and I know you do as well. So I think a big part of it is the internal process, right? I think that most clients still have a bit of an archaic process to set up their email programs. It has to go through all sorts of different groups and approval processes. And again, like you could create a handful of segments, right? And that's doable. But what you can't create is thousands or millions of variations of content so that everyone's truly getting a one-to-one -one personalized experience unless you're leveraging technology. And so I, I genuinely think it has a lot to do with the process. I think that retailers are still a bit beholden to the merchants that they're working with. And they're oftentimes having to make commitments to the merchants and they have to follow the calendars that are specific to that. Um, and so I do think that a lot of retailers we're starting to work with are looking at the future and they're looking at ways to change that. And we'll talk a little bit about the acquisition that we made uh, at Coherent Path that, that plays a big role in helping to move retailers into the future and get them there. And we could go into more detail. But at the end of the day, I think clients are stuck with their legacy processes that's holding them back. And I think some of it is a bit about legacy technology that only allows them to do specific segments within their ESPs or what it may be, and that there's there's definitely an opportunity to kind of push that into the future here. Let's go directly to Coherent Path. Uh, so you, you made an acquisition. Uh, explain what that was and how you've integrated it into your business and how you're trying to um, you know, get that technology and, and feature set into your clients' hands. 
Yeah. So, so like you said earlier this year, uh, we acquired a, a company called Coherent Path based out of Toronto and Boston, and they are an AI content personalization platform. So really a natural extension to Movable Link that has, has exclusively been focused on personalized content uh, in, in the email and, and mobile space. And so what's really interesting about Coherent Path is that the algorithms that they built are meant to lead you down a path of discovery. When I say you, meaning you as a customer down a path of discovery. So there's been other AI introduced into the marketplace that is very much about reinforcement. So think about product recommendations. Think about, I saw you browsing this, let me show you that. And so what we really liked about Coherent Path, it was all about discovery, which means like, hey, Adams may be buying this shirt I have on, let me show Adam three other things in different parts of a catalog that Adam may be interested in because that's what the algorithms have determined I'm interested in. So a simpler way to think about it is like a personal shopper. So if you're going into a store and I buy a pair of jeans, the personal shopper is not going to show me another pair of jeans. They're going to start to show me things that may be complementary to the jeans, maybe a specific pair of shoes, maybe a hat, whatever it may be. And these algorithms are acting a bit more like your personal shopper. And so that is what the algorithms are, are set to do, which is really powerful. And obviously where we were just talking about, you know, and to, to bridge the gap going back to kind of a, a legacy process is now what's happening here with this AI is, is you're letting it take over parts of your email program. So you're no longer have to determine every single day, what is everyone seeing? You're letting the AI pull from your content library of available content to determine what Adam should see and what Mark should see and what millions of other people should see. So everyone's getting something that's personalized to them. But that all requires a, a new way of thinking. It requires a new way of doing things. And again, I think it's a space that's prime for disruption but it will take a bit of change, but that's what we're working on now and, and getting clients into moving into the future here versus kind of what they've been doing, frankly, for the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, it's incredible. I've, I've worked in many of those businesses. I've consulted with uh, businesses that, uh, you know, are challenged in all the ways uh, you just talked about. Um, you know, some are very promotional in nature. Um, and you know, sometimes promotion, you know, the bias is, geez, you know, I'm doing the promotion. I need to tell every single person that I want to send that email to about that promotion. Uh, even though there may be some segment of customers that, you know, it doesn't need to be the primary message, uh, that you share with them. I think you're a hundred percent right. Like not everyone needs a promotion all the time. Right. And especially in a market like this, where margins are so important and profitability are so important, your whole list doesn't need a promotion all the time. Right. And so you should be leveraging technology. You should be leveraging AI to determine what piece of content we all should see. And again, treating, you know, improving the lifetime value of the customer. If they're seeing more personalized content, and it is about discovery. That means that every time you're emailing them, you don't expect them to convert on every email. Sometimes you just want to introduce them to new things that they may purchase later on. They also may go into a store and purchase that. But you've introduced it into their email program. So you're creating a healthier customer, you're creating a healthier file. All of those things are so important. And, and again, like you said, retailers have to start moving away from everything has to be promotional or a low margin. 
Um, and there are ways to absolutely do that. And so, you know, that, that was a big part of the coherent path acquisition. Again, you know, you have your ESPs, they could deploy emails, they do that incredibly well. And now you'll lever, you know, layer AI to help you determine what content to see, you'll leverage core movable link to help you create those thousands or millions of variations of that content. So it's fairly complementary to each other. And and the demand has been pretty strong. Uh, But again, it's early. And you have to change how clients and, and retailers are have done business for a very long time. Yeah. And I would imagine that, you know, you have to, you know, you may think that your approach is spot on, but you might, I imagine from the company perspective, have to moderate what your beliefs are to try and fit with what your customers are willing to, you know, to tolerate if maybe if that's the wrong word, but you you can't fit the square peg in the round hole kind of thing. No, it's all really interesting. And again, I'm learning a, a tremendous amount this year about AI is that, AI has to be in the market to learn, right? And so you have to put that AI out there. It has to learn how your customers are interacting. What are the signals they're responding to? What are they opening? What are they clicking? What are they converting on? And then and it gets smarter and smarter, right? Um, and, and so that, that is very true. It just doesn't, you don't just put it out there one day and it works. It takes time to build up and understand your audience and understand your file. And then you build on that. And again, it's super interesting. But it also then requires a bit of change management at the retailer to be open to doing things a bit differently. But the appetite's there. It's now getting, you know, internal stakeholders all bought in to do things differently, operating with your merchants a little differently. But a market like this kind of creates that opportunity where you really have no choice, right? You have to adapt and you have to take a step into into the future here. And it's a good time to do it. So there's definitely economic headwinds uh, that we're seeing. Uh, you know, Meta just announced today 11,000 uh, people that were were being laid off. Salesforce laid off a thousand people, and and every single day now it seems like uh, more tech companies are are cutting people. Not specifically to Movable Inc., but what are you seeing? Where do you think this? Um, how, how will this you know change what retailers might be willing to do or being able to do? You know, through the end of the year and into Q1. Yeah. So, you know, I would say the shift has been fast and, and has been dramatic, right? I, I tell people internally, this is uh, last year was all about how fast can you hire, right? And then, you know, the growth rates and everything. And now obviously everyone sees it. It's very much all about profitability um, and, and efficiency here. And so it's been tough. It's And, and most people for what it's worth, that we are working with internally, externally, haven't been through a downturn like this, right? We we lived through, you know, even personally, the financial crisis, but that was different. It wasn't impacting marketers as much or tech as much, I would say. I was probably a senior in college during the, the dot-com bubble here, which is relatable. So everyone, it's taking everyone a little time to kind of get used to the change and the adjustments but I think people are getting there now. What I'm seeing with our clients is that nobody has pulled back on marketing. Nobody's pulled back yet on MarTech. Listen, I think everyone's going through. If you are a core part of the stack and you're you're driving value, you're good. If you're not, you're not, right? And I think that's going on at every company, no matter what the company is. So when you're talking about specifically retailers and clients, 
they're all going full throttle here into the holiday season. Business as usual, they're anticipating, you know, a big holiday season. And I think that's going to play out, you know, the, the way where they're anticipating. Another thing when you're speaking with CMOs or clients is the marketers and the CMO became really super important during COVID, meaning that the CEOs, all the brands, they were relying heavily on their marketing teams, on their email programs and their e-com teams because stores were closed and things had to evolve and you had to do real-time messaging. And so all of a sudden, the CMOs and the marketers were becoming the heroes of the organization. And I think that's playing right now where it's like they're not cutting that because they know how important it is to the marketers and how important it is to get these messages out there. And so Movable helped our clients navigate through all those challenges. We launched what we called a uh, like a real-time banner that would drop down. So if a store was closing for a certain amount of hours, it would show up in their email programs and collapse when it wasn't relevant. Or if you had to do buy now, pay later or, or curbside pickup, you know, you were able to leverage those type of banners in your programs that were already there for marketers. All they would have to go is get in there, type what the message is, and would start to show up in all their emails. So, you know, Movable help navigate all of that. And then same thing kind of for this holiday season as well. Okay, good stuff. Well, we're down to the uh, end of the show. I do a two-minute drill, seven questions, one-word answers. Ready? I am ready. I will do my best. Okay, a brand that you admire or that inspires you. Oh, I think I had mentioned this. I would say American Express um, and Delta both come to mind. Okay. The favorite app on your phone? Amazon Music. Oh, and here I thought you were going to tell me TikTok, Adam. No, I'm, I'm anti-TikTok. Okay. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? I don't do a ton of shopping. Um, I would probably say Home Depot. I had to buy a, a new screen door. <laughs> okay. Something <laughs> that you're not good at, but wish that you were. Everything relating to music. I can't sing. I can't play the guitar, piano. I wish I was good at all of that. Okay. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. I would say Island Harvest Food Bank in Long Island. My daughter and her friends started um, a little company they call Pin Pals. They make personalized pins. So we were at the Giant Game. They were selling them in the parking lot. They donated half their money to Island Harvest. Um, so that's definitely top of mind. No, that's very nice. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Oof, depends upon the day. Sometimes I wish I was the Wolverine and I could get my health rejuvenated. Sometimes I wish I could read minds. And in a market like this, I wish I could predict the future. So I think it depends what day you catch me on. But all of those are important. And other than family, what is your most prized possession? That's a good one. Um, I think it's Movable Inc. I've been here for close to 10 years, um, you know, 10 plus employees where we're uh, growing and growing. And so I take a lot of pride in that. I've, I've had my core team here for a long time. So I'd, I'd probably say Movable. Okay. Uh, uh, Adam, where can people reach out to you on social media? We know not TikTok um, if uh, they wanted to be in contact. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, somewhat done with social media and, and anti-social media, but I would say LinkedIn. I definitely use that a lot and I use it for work and that's a great place to kind of connect with me and uh, I, I will absolutely respond. 
Okay. Well, great. Well, hey, it was nice to see you. Uh, nice, nice to reminisce a little bit, and uh, great to see the success that you've had at, at Movable Inc. and and how important you are in uh, in in your clients' marketing stack. Yeah. Well. Well. Thank you so much. First of all, for having me on here for for being a big part of the Movable Inc. journey and all the support along the way. Very much appreciate it. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Adam Stamblick for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, as you grow and develop your career, find someone that can show you how to best conduct your business. This could be a mentor or an advisor, someone that you use as a professional role model. Number two, regardless of the role we have, there are always customers. It could be people paying you for a service, or it could be an internal colleague that's relying on your work. In order to provide incredible customer service, you need to be responsive, pay attention to the details, and build a partnership. And number three, how about a side hustle? Adam had his. He was building a web design business while working a full-time job. It can be a hobby that turns into a business, but it's okay to have a side hustle to test other areas of interest. Who knows? Maybe that turns into your new career path. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Yeah.